1: the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote
0: with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mont. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by my company, Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. This is going to be a panel because while I clearly am not shy about talking, I want to give others in the community a voice too. It definitely shouldn't only come from me. We should be hearing from many different people doing this. If you want to participate in a panel, please do get in touch. You can go to datameshunderstanding.com to see some of the other free community-friendly programs and the other learning resources we have. And you can check out our actually quite reasonably priced offerings. So let's hear some fun music and then jump into a quickish summary of what you'll hear about in this panel. episode 257, a panel, Doing Data Mesh Data Governance Well. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? Guest host Andrew Sharp, who's a principal consultant of data governance and data protection at the Oakland Group, as well as guest of episode 172, facilitated a discussion with Kinda Elmari, PhD, who's a director of data governance at Prima and guest of episode 246. Nicola Ascom, aka the data governance Coach. An independent data governance consultant and guest of episode 129, and Jay Como, strategic advisor at Curate Insights and guest of episode 92. As per usual, all guests were only reflecting their own views. Topic for this panel was how do we do data governance well, including how do we get started around data governance in data mesh. There's a lot to learn about how to improve your governance, but there are no blueprints, unfortunately. You have to do the work specific to your organization. You have to think about where am I starting from? You can't just say, okay, this is the end picture. I'm just going to go to the end picture. You have to figure out where where you are before you can kind of head in that direction. And then personal note, as usual, I just wanted to share my takeaways rather than trying to reflect the nuance of each panelist's views individually. I've got my top eight takeaways here, more in the show notes. Number one, the single biggest misconception around data mesh is that because we call it doing decentralized data, it means decentralized everything. It's even worse when people think it means decentralize everything on day one. Find your balances as to how far to decentralize different aspects. But a central governance function or team will be crucial to doing data mesh right. They need to focus on leverage points and enablement, especially with you know, via guardrails, policies, and standards. Each of those three, we want to, at least eventually, automate as much as we can. That's that whole computational part Jamak mentions in Computational Federated Governance. Number two, if all we do is empower the domains, there will be chaos. We've seen this with improperly done decentralized in tech repeatedly. It's Federated governance, and not merely decentralized. We need guiding hands provided by governance to enable the domains to do the right things. It's not just, hey, you now own your data. We're going to give you the capability to do that. We're going to help you kind of play well together. We're going to have this be part of a cohesive whole. Number three, in mesh, you have to balance individual individuality and freedom versus consistency. The information encapsulated and how it is encapsulated must be free so people can actually share the information of their domain. But why constantly reinvent the wheel where you don't need to? Try to make conformity easy, simple, and the best decision around those places where differentiation between the different data products and stuff, that differentiation isn't a value add. Try to find those ways to to make it simple, simple, To just have everybody do similar, the same things. Number four, data mesh creates a great path to start to federate or decentralize data governance. If you try to rush into decentralizing everything up front, it will again lead to chaos. Domains need training wheels around a lot of governance aspects. Don't throw them in the deep end. Don't say you now own this. It's, hey, we need to, you know, work together until you're at a level where you can leverage what we've built to do the right things. But it's not as if now you have to just know all of, all of the way that we do data governance. Number five, data ownership is such a crucial aspect to get right in data mesh, especially for governance. That can feel obvious, but it's also one of the most common places mesh implementations are suffering or fa- falling down. Be clear what ownership means and help owners understand and take up that ownership. Number six, trying to standardize everything instead of create standards that make things easy but are flexible is something that has held back data governance for so long. Data Mesh gives us the opportunity to try so many more things out. Take advantage of that and learn along the way. Number seven, communication and culture and data. We are used to thinking that the data communicates itself, right? Look at this perfectly self-describing data model. It's just not the case. You can't transform your culture and the way your organization communicates overnight. Invest a lot of time and effort into communication and culture if you want to have sustainable value delivery with data mesh. Finally, number eight, Business people don't want quote unquote data governance. They want to achieve business outcomes. Share with them how the work will help them achieve their goals instead of the specifics of data governance. Speak to outcomes and you will get them excited to do certain aspects of data governance. Focus on the why. The how is exciting and interesting to data folks, but most business people don't care. Stop trying to force the business people into the the you know the sausage factory tour. They want to know why they're doing this and what what kind of delicious sausage they're going to get at the end. They often don't want to know how it's made. Okay. With that summary of my top takeaways, and you can see the show notes for more takeaways if you'd like, but let's go ahead and actually hear from our awesome panelists themselves.
2: Hi there and uh, welcome to another lively session of um, debate around data mesh and in particular today we're exploring data governance in data mesh so I'm really pleased to have an expert panel of um, individuals here to check things through but um, before we get into the guts of uh, the conversation um, it's important that we uh, introduce ourselves so perhaps if I could um, hand over to Nicola to introduce yourself first.
3: Thank you, Andrew. Yes, my name is Nicola Ascombe. I'm known as the Data Governance Coach, and I help organizations understand and manage their data better. And um, it was quite uh, an eye-opening time beginning of last year when I got to work with my first client who was doing data mesh and asked me to help them with data governance and data mesh. So I'm really looking forward to this panel discussion
2: today. And over to Kinder.
4: Thanks, Andrew, and hello also from my side. My name is Kendall Maddy, and I'm the director of data governance at Prima, a leading motor insurance company in Italy. And I've been drawn into data governance and specifically federated data governance ever since Data Mesh came along in 2019. And five years later, I'm still in the game and I'm still trying to figure out this uh, not well trodden path. So I'm pretty excited to be speaking with all of you on the panel today.
1: Um, Jay. Andrew, thank you. Uh, Jay Como, I am with Curate Insights. Curate is a boutique data consultancy here in the United States based out of Boston, Massachusetts. And prior to that was the chief finance data officer at Silicon Valley Bank and the chief data officer for the U.S. Consumer Bank at Barclays. And a bunch of years of JP Morgan running enterprise reference data. So probably a third of my very long career has been in data. Uh, or, or around data, whether it be technology, operations, data governance, for sure. So excited to talk with you all today. Thanks, Jay. And uh, perhaps a little bit about
2: myself. And Andrew Sharp, I uh, work out of the United Kingdom and um, doing data governance work across a number of sectors. I'm currently working for an organization called the Oakland Group, who are a data consultancy based in Leeds. Um, we are seeing and hearing an awful lot about data um, data governance in mesh from clients. So um today's a great opportunity to start unpacking what that means and um understanding what um, everybody's perspective is. I think I think it's important to recognize the the views that people are expressing today are their own thoughts brought up and uh should be sort of taken in, in that vein. And um I think to coin Scott and who's been one of the architects of this um, we're we're all experts, but no one's an expert at the same time. So um, perhaps if we can kick off with perhaps asking um, kind maybe um, what what we mean by data governance in mesh. You know, first of all, let's, let's go, get under the bonnet of, of some definitions
4: here. Mm-hmm. So for me, governance, particularly in data mesh, acts as a counterbalance to the decentralization that data mesh brings in, right? We're shifting the responsibility to the left. We're empowering the domains so that they can create their own data products. But at the end of the day, we need to make sure that there is some level. So a layer of standardization that comes on top to make sure that these domains, when they're operating autonomously and they're creating and publishing the data products, these data products are interoperable at the end because This is the angle, right? This is where the magic happens. This is where we want to be. People using each other's data products and having data products that are obviously ticking the right boxes. They are compliant. They are trustworthy. uh, They are discoverable. And they are owned by a product owner, for instance. Someone is looking at the whole data product management cycle. For me, this is um, what data governance means specifically within a data mesh. Does this align with uh, what
3: you think of data governance within data mesh, Nicola? Um, yes, I think so because I think um, with with the client, yeah, I've only had the the the, the fun of doing this with one client for data mesh. But I I think there is this. I've never been a fan of centralized data governance, but you have to rethink data governance when it comes to mesh because as you're saying, and there's there's new roles that didn't exist before that, including like the data product owner. But we need to make sure that. That things are done consistently um you you know because you could have well you will have multiple different data product owners and their data product may have some of the same source data in it and we need to make sure that that they they make the right decisions about it in a perhaps a holistic way because i think i think data the data mesh perhaps allows more flexibility and as you say democratization of the data but yeah being a data governance geek my big worry was that that also means it's a free for all. So I think you need this, this data governance to make sure that we're that the products we're creating are valuable.
1: I'll, I'll just add to that. So so as you two ladies were talking, I had this urgency at first to say, well, data governance really uh, is important and effectively practitioned, irrespective of whether you're in a data mesh mode or not. And then, Kenda, when you said own, that, that's the key point to data governance is ownership. You have someone that owns the data, are they looking after it have they defined what good looks like is there a voice for downstream consumption that says okay your definition of good data quality is different than mine and we need to kind of arbitrate that and so that that's sort of important in any organization that relies on data and whether it's data mesh or not but then nicola you said something that that i think was very important about sort of taking that urge and, that urge and saying it differently is um i think you said you're not a fan of central data governance and um, I think that's a key point and that's really what data mesh is because if you think about it, if there's a strong central data governance, you effectively have an enterprise shop central that owns the data, but they're really not the ones who are curating it. They're not the ones that are creating it. And so when something goes wrong, or even if you just want to do something really great with it, you really have to go to someone else, like the, front, the front office, if you will. And so I think that's the the key points that you both illustrated. There's something I'm passionate about. The ownership is important. And it's okay to have central data governance, but I don't think that's optimal. And I think the beauty of data mesh is it it sort of lends itself to start to get distributed. And you both mentioned product. And so we can talk a lot about data governance and how important that is. But the fact that when you're in a data mesh mode, you become much more productized, which I think is very effective for an organization. So I really love both of the points you guys made. And it sort of backs me off the ledge of my first initial reaction about ownership, but... Decentralization, I think is key. Can I just so
2: mark up on the, um, sort of the centralization, decentralization P do you, do you think as part of, I suppose, setting the scene as to what the standards and the policies are, you still need someone or something at the center. So it's not a straight. Decentralize everything to centralize everything. There's a, you, you, you need probably both, um. And, and it's striking that balance. So there's super super points that people are making, but at what point do you trade off centralization versus
1: decentralization? I, I'll just go quickly. Yeah, Andrew, absolutely. I think there needs to be a definition of what the enterprise, the central data shop owns, and it should be policy, it should be standards. And it could be data governance for a while until there's maturity out in the in the federation, the rest of the organization. So there's no one size fits all, but I think it's very important to establish what the enterprise owns and sticking with that. And it should be light. I've always viewed, my personal opinion is, it should be light versus heavy because you want that federation and that true data mesh style. My thoughts, but Tinda, what are you thinking?
4: I think it's a very important point that we need to stress because I think a lot of people are still confusing between federation and decentralization. They think that with the data mesh, we're going to decentralize everything. And along that, also the data governance. But it's not about that, right? You still need that level of standardization to make sure that this interoperability remains content. Um And so one, one thing that I want to just kind of circle back to um, and kind of spring off what Jay was saying, because it was t- such a fantastic point, was about this ownership and the beauty of data mesh. And it's probably something every one of us, especially the rest of three of you, because you've done data governance before data mesh in a more centralized fashion, so you can tell me a little bit more about that, is with data mesh, this ownership question becomes easier because back in the day, I can imagine you had to take that into your own hands. You had to actually go and have these tough conversations with the people and tell them, you know what, probably you should be the owner of this data. Whereas nowadays, we do have this domain-driven approach. And so the business functions turn to domains, and ownership is kind of implicit. Or you have a lot of different people that are driving that. And this is one of the the things that really attracted me to governance and to uh, to data mesh because it's it it, it gives such a push, right? Um, it's just something that I wanted to sneak in because it it just you know did a did a click there.
2: Yeah, no, no, no harm in sharing that. Sneaking in sounds a great term. Um, Nicola, what's your thoughts on this? Um, so, sort of
3: I agree, because I think, you know, I've I've always felt that you need um, a central data governance team, or let, let's be honest, in a lot of places it's one person, but you need somebody, whether it's one or many, who are, as you say, perhaps setting the, the rule, not the rules for the actual data itself, but the, the data governance framework, what what needs to be done how it's going to be done um but um like jay said it's never in my experience worked if that team then owns the data because they're not the experts in the data and yeah you're absolutely spot on It leads to so many interesting conversations about you know do i think that perhaps you are the right person to own this data kind of thing and, and i always say when i run my training courses i always say don't go and assign data owners you identify and engage them and it's a big difference and i think it, it it can be done but it's hard work and i do what i've seen with the data mesh approach is as you say i think you're giving people something that they're excited about so if you're just going along to deliver data governance it can be quite a tough set, sale but they they really quite get excited about this democratization of data this accessibility the fact that they have the they've been empowered, I suppose, to create the data products that they want. And I think you're right. It makes the finding, you know, the, the right data owners a lot easier because they've now got a vested interest in it because they want the output of it. I don't know. Has that been your experience, Jay?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, like, I like what you said about the appointing someone. You can't just say you own the data, even though it's so obvious that if you own the client onboarding journey, for example, and I, and I tend to speak from a banking perspective because that's where I've spent a lot of all of my career actually. So you know, if you, if you own that onboarding process, you likely, and you're the business owner, you, you own that data. And that's very important because that's the start of the data journey for the institution. A very important data that gets used for regulatory reasons, um, forecasting revenue, product development, and so on. It's a really important role And in so many organizations, it's not obvious. Like I I have found myself convincing front office types, this is yours, right? And they're like, "Uh, is it? No, really it is. So I think that's a fantastic point. And while a lot of this is implicit, uh, it's really good just to have those conversations to get that agreement. I'm a big believer that um, if you have a plan, it's your plan. But if we have a plan, it is our plan. So if I think you're the data owner, that's my thoughts. But if we agree that you are, then then that's the key. And the other the other piece I would say is you, you're going to get contention along the way. And so some of those data owners might not agree. And so go get the ones that do and get some momentum. And then eventually the naysayers are like, I've got a million other things to do that are way more important than owning your data that you consume. But if you've got a sort of a village of other really important people in your firm that have got on board, particularly with data mesh and governance and ownership and even the productization of it, then then eventually the naysayers will go, hey, I want to join the party. That looks kind of fun. They're all talking the same language. I'm seeing the positive results. And so the other piece I would say, in addition, Nicola, to, to your points, I totally agree with is be patient about that journey and, and take your victories. And eventually if you have enough of those victories, The obstacles will come around. I I had just in closing on that, I had a a chief product officer in another role who wouldn't talk, he wouldn't take my calls for almost a year. Very senior guy. I was a senior person. He would not talk to me. But after a year, I had so much success where it was like, okay, hey, Jay, what are you doing over there? And then like the third call is like, hey, how's my buddy Jay? You know, went from, you know, could talk to the guy to suddenly I was his buddy. Then we built a strategy together to deliver. So but he was the last one. I had a lot of other folks along the line. So I think that sort of understand the landscape is pretty important as well.
2: Fan- fantastic uh, nugget of information there, Jake. And Nicola, you mentioned early on that Mesh has sort of afforded additional roles in the ownership model. Perhaps can we unpack that as, as we're talking around ownership and your thoughts on that on whether that's enabled more accountability and responsibility by virtue of having product data product owners and additional roles for the ones you tradition
0: traditionally saying
3: Uh, That's really. a really good point. I'd be really interested to hear what everybody's experiences and thoughts. because, um, when we first started with my client, um, you know, I kind of did the, well, these are the kind of standard roles that I tend to start thinking about when I'm working with a new organization and then we adapt them as, as appropriate. And I said, so let's talk about how they're appropriate for, um, data mesh and of course i got told well no we don't need them because you know so we've got like your data owner your data steward and then your data custodians for the it side of things data producers and consumers and then obviously your data governance team they go well we don't need a lot of them we don't need data owners because we're going to have data product owners because they were very clear and to be fair a lot of the literature on data mesh is very clear you need data product owners and they're going and they'll they'll do everything and, and I kept, I wouldn't say argue, because I wouldn't dream of arguing with a client. We had some really interesting um, discussions um, about it, but they refused to budge um, because the data product owner was the be-all and end-all. Um, and and it was only over time by trying. And I think I think that's been my experience always with data governance. No two organizations are the same. I mean, Jace, you said you've worked all your career in banking. Um, I've. I started out for 20 years in a bank, but you know, no two banks are the same, no two companies of any, in any sector are the same, so you always have to evolve, so you, you design what you think is right when you're starting data governance, and then you have to evolve. So I wasn't upset about the fact we had to try it, but it was almost like we were trying and I think people were quite happy to be data product owners because that was almost like then, it's like a job title rather than an additional role that's being given to you. But, they weren't they were almost too junior to have that accountability that a data owner would have would be my experience. So we kind of went through, and it was fine with the first few data products because none of them used the same data. So we didn't have any issues, and all my concerns were unfounded to begin with. Um, and it was only when we started going through it, and then another some more data uh, products were created, and they were going to use the same data. And the two product owners couldn't agree who was going to actually make decisions about the source data, kind of that it became clear that you needed the the data owners again. And then for about six months, my client was adamant they didn't need data stewards because the data product owner was absolutely definitely going to do the data steward role. Um, and then I, I kind of finished the more intense piece of work and I was just having to catch up with him six months later and they said, you know, it's really interesting what you said about being open-minded and evolving. The, the data product owners were just not doing the data steward role. So they then added back in the data steward role. So for them, it was a real evolution. And I think also because databesh is still so new, not that many companies are doing it, um, that you don't go to conferences and hear hundreds of case studies to give you loads of different ideas on how to do it. So... It was really a genuine case of let's try this and see what what works. We, I'd love to hear what what you three have seen as well, or, or whether it was just you know that particular way we, we had to we found we had to do it that way to work out what was working.
2: I mean, I've certainly spoken to clients who have almost gone right. We've got data owners, data stewards, data custodians. Oh, and we now need to slot in these data product owners, but they've done that in blissful ignorance. Or well, actually, is that the right? ownership model for you you know it's yes it's you know a buzzword but actually to your point you need to think about this you need to work it through it might well be the right answer but don't just because they're the flavor of the month add them to the list and have an additional owner level just because it's the flavor that everybody's talking about make sure that they aren't duplicating and they're doing something that is discreet and different. So I've seen it from the other perspective where people are coming probably from a far too the- theoretical perspective and, and actually saying, oh, let's add these in as well. And, um, that, that, that's introduced some interesting, uh, discussions about what their role is vis-a-vis stewards and custodians to your point. Um, Kinder, what, what's your experience?
4: So I've I've been part of two data mesh implementations, and I've seen across both companies different roles. But I even I'll take it a step further and say that even within one company, there might be different roles between the domains depending on how big or how small a domain is. Um, and because obviously uh, the bigger the domain is, the more data products are being pushed out, and though you might need more people. But if you're thinking obviously data product order, I think the whole community agrees on that, that this is something that is needed. Because you need that product thinking when you are working with the data, right? But a role that has been tested um, in in a lot of companies, so in my previous company, they did have embedded engineers. And this really depends on how you are doing the implementation, right? If you're pushing a self-serve data platform where you need a lot of coding in order to publish a data product, then you probably need that within your domains. Um, If you're building a self-serve data platform that's, is lightweight, where you just need some SQL, and I've seen that implementation, maybe you do not need an embedded engineers. So the rules always depends on what kind of implementation, what kind of tooling, um, and what kind of skill set is required. Uh, but I, I would take it a step further, that even within one company, across the different domains you might have, um, sometimes a dedicated data product order coming from product side because they're bringing along with them all of this product skill set. Sometimes you could have a very small domain where you do not necessarily need a data product order, but you might have one person putting on different hats. It's very, it, it's very dependent. And that's what makes it very tricky, right? Uh, there is no recipe or no standard that can be taken. We always have to look at the domain, always have to look at the implementation and, and see what works best
1: with me. Jay, what's your thoughts? Uh, Probably much of what was said previously, I'll just add a slightly different spin on it. One thing that I've counseled my colleagues is you can get really, um, I think blissful ignorance, Andrew, what you said, you can get really complicated and say, we need all of the roles that were mentioned. And I think as Nicola's point, it generally comes down to a data owner, a data steward, and then you have to layer in the product piece. And I'll more on that in a second. But a lot of this, like one thing that the banks do have consistency in is their lack of maturity or at least to fit super sophistication in this space. And so a lot of this stuff, particularly of data mesh implementations, it's kind of net new. And so you're going to have to go and ask for money. And if you're asking for money and you, and you draw out this Byzantine landscape of all of these different roles, it automatically turns off whoever's signing the check. Like This just looks like a shameless ploy for headcount. And so I like kind of the the sentiments from my colleagues before me. It's if you can simplify it, that looks better than asking for all of these different levels of rules. And you can always start small and then prove yourself, and then grow from there. Um, but I think the point that I'd also stress out is that product piece because what Nicola, what you were saying, or Kinda, what you were saying was about you know um, data much from a product perspective, and I was kind of hearing that from a consumer like where the data is produced in that domain, which I think is what logically the point, but then you can factor in like another domain that might be producing their own data or not, depending on the size of um, that domain, but they can be a heavy, heavy consumer. And perhaps in that situation, their products are very much specific to them. And so they'll use mesh to go to the data owner, get the data in a nice, agile, nimble way, but then they're doing a lot of different transformation and segmentation with that data. And so that's where that role of that embed, embedded engineer and a product owner becomes very important because if you've built your own domain, for for me, it was in that live examples, building a, a finance and credit data hub. And so we had to really be clear, like, what's technology going to deliver versus, quote, the business or the product configuration, folks? And this wasn't where the data was produced. This was downstream, but where it, where it gets, I guess, some sort of synthetic Key data elements like we're going to produce other key data elements based off that source data. So I think I would agree with all the comments of of all of you before me. I think it's really important to have that sort of understanding of where engineering is, where product is, who owns it, what really are they doing. And and just to re-emphasize, don't start too big because you're just going to turn people off and 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 get some merit and then eventually if you if a data steward, a product owner and a data owner aren't enough, then you can actually, you know, evolve it from there when you've got some success. Lots lot sense.
2: I mean, we, we're we talking a lot here about people and skill sets and experience, and some of what Mesh is about is, in my mind, blending technical and non-technical skills, so you're actually deploying technically what was traditionally probably deployed more through traditional means. Are you sort of seeing it from what you've been working with clients um, on – a blending of those technical and non-technical skills, or are they still discrete activities where you need a business person to specify it to a coder who will then go and weigh and develop it? Or are those sort of skill sets merging into one within one individual?
4: From my side, I think what I can say is, and that is again one of the beauty of the data mesh, is that the people that are going to be working with that data product are already coming from that domain. And so they usually have this business context. And so those non-technical skills where you have this acumen, you have the contextual knowledge is already there. Um, And the question is, again, whether you need to embed uh, some technical roles in there, it depends on the domain. But In general, as to your point, Andrew, in terms of skills and literacy, it's a huge topic. And I think a lot of companies are realizing that and opening up, You know, whether you want to call it data literacy or data education, it's really about making sure if we are pushing this responsibility to domains, we need to make sure that they are coming from a place where they can actually take that responsibility. And so we need to make sure we go ahead of time and actually inform them. What are they going to be doing? hardening them with the tools, with the standards, whatever they need, so that we can remove this inhibition. And on the other hand, make sure that there is high adoption, right? Uh, so, I, I really appreciate that you highlighted that that skill. It's something that I think is still overlooked, but I'm seeing a lot of uh, companies realizing that and putting a lot of effort into it.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Kinder, because I think um, you know, even if you were just doing Data governance, and not over data mesh. You still need to train and brief people. You can't just suddenly go, "Da da, we're doing data governance." <laughs> you all magically know what to do because they don't. And I think that's exactly what you were saying, Kindra. Is that you know so many organizations are embracing data literacy training, and I think that's almost like a, a fundamental precursor to adopting the data mesh. Because if you're if your majority of your employees haven't understood and, and recognized data as an asset. Most people don't even think that data's part of their job. present company excluded, but but most people don't think about it at all. They don't realize that it's a key part of their job. And I think we need to get them understanding that. Otherwise, you know, it's a huge jump to then the way of thinking you need to for data mesh.
1: Yeah, I would add that uh Nicola, you said earlier no two banks are alike. And I would I would suggest as well that no two domains within a firm are alike. And so I've seen an, a situation where in one in one uh, in the same domain, by the way, in one set of products, the engineering team actually is is a strong product owner because the product team wasn't really weren't up to par. They weren't really doing their job, and then the technology team, the engineering team stepped in that void and did a fantastic job on behalf of the customer. Uh, and, and then, in that's the same players in a different a different platform. The product team was super strong representing the business and had a clear demarcation and it was a gray area in the middle, um, but a clear on where engineering ends and business configuration begins. And that was agreed on. And that's a that that platform was different than all of the other platforms where tech was engineering was really leading. And so you have to sort of be cognizant that depending on the maturity, even within your domain, it's gotta look different. And ultimately, I think that what what you should strive to is. Uh, to the question, Andrew, I think it should be, there is a racy that engineering does, and there's a racy that product and business does. And there's a lot of that that rubs up very close to each other. In fact, you could almost flip a coin and say, hey, you know, for this little middle function, it's almost tech, it's almost business. Where do we have the most capacity? Where do we have the most desire? But there's clearly a demarcation on most of it where it's engineering versus uh, product configuration or, or, or business owned. And I think you want to have ultimately all all of those players agreeing on that journey and and being able to complete each other's sentences. But you know that's not going to be the case straight away, particularly if you're just implementing data mesh. So you're going to have that dichotomy within your domains and that you're going to have the differences of other domains. So I think the realization of it and sort of getting to the agreement what good will look like, that's what you really should get aspirational for. And then all the rest of those pieces work themselves out. Now, that, that that makes a lot of sense and that's that, that that's a really key point I mean certainly
2: from my experience we're seeing certainly in some of the client areas an opportunity for people that have can wear both the technical and the non-technical hat in a mesh environment they can actually play both in the engineering space and we're actually seeing people that traditionally wouldn't necessarily have gone into governance actually, because they're more of a, an engineering background, getting more engaged in that because they can see that they can deploy their skills and knowledge and help the business in a way that probably historically they didn't feel, um, that they, they could do. So, um, it's interesting. I think in some organizations, they're more advanced than others. And for some organizations and individuals, you will always have that demarcation, but I think measure forwards, are, in my mind, a blending for those that are able to do it a bit more of the technical with the non-technical, because you you, you can actually inhabit both of those those worlds, but you will still need both, as you say, the, the pure engineering side and the business side. Good stuff. Um, in terms of practical experience, we've talked a lot about client experience. So, in from your perspective, what is working particularly well for those clients that are deploying mesh? At the moment, from a governance perspective, what what actually has been the, the nuggets that you've thought right? That's actually landed correctly. Um, what what sorts of things would people be interested in pin hearing arms? I don't
1: know, Jake. Whether you've got any thoughts on that? I might be the wrong person to start because <laughs> I I instantly went to what's not working quite so well, and
3: I'll
1: be there. I'll, I'll, I'll do ladies first. Then yeah, there you go. And at the back, Nicola.
3: Um, I I, I think. I suppose uh, working well makes it sound like it's all going simply, and I think talking to people and 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 you know, I, I went to a conference a, a few weeks ago and I was talking to a, a number of people um, about them doing data governance and data mesh after I presented on the topic as well. And it was that kind of, I think, I think it, it, saying it going well it doesn't really mean you know we hit on the perfect way straight away and it's all perfect. But I think it's that i think the the key thing that that shows that it's going well is if people actually are understanding that it needs data governance um and i think um you know i think quite a lot of people are not getting the distinction that data mesh is not just another technology implementation so i think that's a big hurdle that you have to get over um because people think it's just another technology thing but it isn't it's a, a whole organizational way of thinking that has to and, and the side of goes with it so I think that's like the key that I think people have to get their head around that and understand that they need data governance. And then I think from then on, I think it is much like we've been talking about is this flexibility is is understanding that whatever you try first might not be the right answer or it might be the right answer for one domain. And like I like your example, Jay, because yes, I've seen that loads of times as well, that, you know. Even in traditional data governance, what works in one domain just, and you think, ah, I've cracked it. does something doesn't in the next one. So it's that that flexibility, I think, is what I see people doing well. I couldn't agree. Yeah, I think um, spot on. You
4: you need to take the people on that journey and get the buy-in, right? Because it's a, it's a fundamental paradigm shift and you reorganize the teams around the data. Some companies do a big bang approach where they do a whole restructuring and some are a bit um, work in a more incremental way where they just look at one domain and, and start there. but I think once we reach that level where we have enough buy-in and we have that first domain let's say that is restructured in, in that sense, I think one of the key things that I've seen work in the past because I've seen it not working in the past because <laughs> um, I've done it twice is starting off with um, picking the first right data product. And a first data product is already a very complicated thing to do. So you wanna pick a a data product that has impact, that shows business value, but you wanna make things simple. So you wanna stay away, for instance, from PII data, right? Because that's already a layer of complexity that you add on top of it. And we've done that incorrectly in the past, in the first implementation, we took that on, That did not go well. And when that happens, obviously you you lose a bit of that momentum and traction. And you want to make sure that you don't lose that. Because once you start giving that communication, people are excited and you want to make sure that the momentum is there. So those first few use cases, those first few data products are critical. Um it's a little bit what Jay was talking about, about having these victories. They're crucial because you will never have everyone on your side in such a transformation. So you need the success to bring on those people that are hesitant and those who ultimately were completely against. it.
2: Uh, I would echo that, Kinder. I mean, that, the whole data products piece, um, the clients we've been talking to, that is absolutely critical. And you build credibility if you actually get that right if you don't then you're always going to be struggling so you know those first few initial steps are absolutely key in terms of landing what you're seeking to achieve and if you can actually get past that first base it's a bit like the airplane you know you, 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 once you once you're up in the sky it's a lot easier but it's 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 getting off of the runway and having a good good takeoff that uh, actually is, is the key differentiator and once you've got that then that builds momentum and um data products is certainly the thing that from our experience um we we've seen a lot of success with as a starter partly because i think it's the easiest thing for people to get their heads around in terms of mesh you know when you are actually trying to communicate what you're trying to achieve i think people grasp products before the other three sort of high level principles of mesh um you know they get decentralization but that's slightly harder but Data products is the one. Yeah, I understand what you're saying here. Yeah. So it it makes it makes it an easier sell.
1: And Jay, your big moment. So what's not going so well? So I I think what is going well is the data ownership piece. I think what Data Mesh does is it. I think data ownership is is a weakness in most institutions that practice data. And so and, and when you see it done well. It's just an, it's it's a world of difference where they're so much more effective in everything that they do. Um, so I think data mesh forces that it, it enables it. Um, but but I think what's not done well at times is um, you know and this could be data mesh, it could be your cloud journey, it, it could be implementing a new platform. I, I think when you don't take the time to explain that I think Nicole you said it's data mesh isn't technology, it's a philosophy. And so if you don't take the time to explain to your organization that, hey gang, we're going to do a data mesh. Maybe it's just one product, of like you said, but here's what it means. If you don't take the time to do that, it's very easy to lose people. In fact, what I've seen it not work well is you had this strange situation where one organization, one domain didn't even know what data mesh was, but what they were trying to drive architecturally was in fact data mesh. And then another one, uh, which was more of a central organization saying hey we're doing data mesh and here's what we're going to do and it was a decentralized data ownership and self-servicing and that's just very much reliant on an enterprise data warehouse and taking that data putting it putting all data there and consuming from the enterprise data warehouse and so i I did tell you many conversations with um, architects about well guys that's actually not really the the whole principles of data mesh and so because I don't think they quite understood it and so I've seen that. I think if you're going to embark on this journey, and whatever, even if it's not data mesh, like I mentioned, your cloud journey, like let's ex- let's really be clear why we're doing this, um, and explain it. And, and opacity is just it cripples transformational change. So I think that transparency and over explaining it that lends itself to data literacy is incredibly important. So I've seen it done poorly, unfortunately, but I have seen it where when you when you kind of fight through all of that and you pull people with you about being transparent where conversations I had to the folks that were talking about data mesh, but not doing it, that eventually saying, hey guys, I can't afford to build and transform this organization with putting everything engineered into the central enterprise data warehouse. I don't have any more money to do that. We're gonna need to go a little more mesh. I'm I'm going to consume the data from where the data is produced. And that would have been sort of blasphemy with my data engineering team at at the start of that journey. And at the end of it, it was, yeah, you know what? I get it. I, I don't think we can afford to do this infrastructure. And so we just found ourselves eventually, and it on a positive note. We eventually evolved where we were all speaking the same language, and it was really much a data mesh philosophy, but it didn't start that way. So I think it's important to be really clear about what it is and eventually get everyone to sort of agree. And I think great things flow from there, but it, it's a battle. It takes time and patience for sure. Absolutely. Kinder,
2: um your thoughts on you know things that you've seen not done so well
4: I, I I'll stress what Jay said about being very clear on the end goal because what I've seen is a lot of especially the early adopters they were super excited with data mesh and they took it on a very technical level and they forgot the end goal which is the data the data products that they are that you produce data that is useful, that is reusable, that is scalable. And my mentor uh, Peter Karen, he has a, a very nice saying about it. So don't don't talk about data mesh. It's a mesh. It's like a spider web or spider mesh. At the end, it should be transparent. No one should know you're doing a data mesh. It should be about the data at the end. And this is something that I've seen again poorly done, and it didn't work out right because the the goal was not correct. The goal was do the data mesh, but in fact, it's not the data mesh. It's really about the data products. And it's like you said, Andrew, it's it's one of those splinters that people understand the most, so that's where the communication should be stressed. So I try and completely avoid that term data mesh because people get so hyped. They go and read the book and then they have their own ways of of, of doing the mesh and then the conversation goes in the ex- completely opposite direction, not in the direction that you actually want it to Another thing that I've seen done badly is not really supporting this transformation with the proper communication, with the proper data culture that it needs, right? And that's a huge effort that needs to be put. And usually no one steps up to take it. And it's, a, it's an effort that's you cannot do overnight, right? It's not by just doing one roadshow, going to all the domains and telling them, you know, this is what we're doing, what, are, like product thinking, it's an ongoing effort that a lot of people have to actually get involved in and push towards, whether it's a top-down approach, whether it's a bottom-up or, you know, more of a horizontal approach. Nicola, what...
2: No, so I was just going to um for... for um and um, You speak, Nicola, I was just, the analogy of don't t- tell them it's data mesh is a bit like we have in the UK, this, if you want to do data governance successfully, don't tell them that it's data governance, because that that, that that's the recipe for disaster to explain it in a different way, and it's got echoes of the same kind of principle, you know, don't, don't tell them it's that, but still do it because you're going to be able to land it far better if you don't describe it as data governance. Sorry, Nicola, I jumped in or whatever.
3: Um I, I was just nodding and grinning the whole time that Kinder was speaking and you absolutely, totally agree. And I, But I would even go one step further than what you both said there is um, I, I w- wouldn't really even, you, you have to end up talking about data governance and you have to end up talking about data products, but I'd always rather f- focus on the business outcome because that's what, the business users want. They don't want a data mesh. They don't want data governance. But what they want is, um, I don't know, reduced costs, access to data, uh, better decisions. They they want something like that. And I think it's it's all about not losing sight of that. Um, particularly because the in my experience, technologists in the company tend to get very excited about a new technology. And now we've got data mesh, and everybody's getting really excited about our distributed architectures and everything. Business people don't care. About the technology, they just want whatever outcome that they're tasked with delivering. And I think we need to talk to people about that and how what we're doing, whatever we're calling it, is going to help them. And I think that's how we get them. And I think the people that that kind of just kind of do a big, oh, well, we're doing is is when people we're having a big uh, data transformation going. Are you? That's nice, but why? And they can't tell you why. So I think it's the you know, coming back to the why, and I think where people go wrong are exactly the reasons that Kinder are saying, is that they, they're kind of too busy worrying about the what they're delivering and not the the why.
2: And I think that's a super important point because I think we're a lot of us, because we are data professionals, we're passionate about what we do, you fall into the trap of talking about data. And I, I'm reflecting on the client a week or so ago who sort of said, well, that's all very interesting. We're, why are we doing this? You know, what? We, you need to understand the benefits because as you say the people who use this state don't give a scooby about the shape of the data or whether it's centralized decentralized they, they they want to make business decisions they want to drive insight. they want want to fix business problems and actually how you do that is somewhere between the data professionals and the technologists and yeah we can wax lyrically it's a bit like um going to the garage and the Mechanic explaining, you know, uh, well the wonders of this engine and all the technology. You, you just, Most people just want a car that gets you from A to B. And so long as the engine doesn't break, you don't care the what it looks like. And, all. Oh, you know, it's got 17 different widgets. It's all about, will it get me there? So uh, it's a super important point.
3: Oh, I love that analogy I might have to use
2: that. <laughs> but uh, yeah very 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 welcome but um yeah I think I think we all we all fall in in into into that trap and um, I mean one thing that I see that isn't working well is is companies that are launching into this without actually realizing and it links to the culture piece kinder people thinking they can because it's the the next big idea let's do data mesh where they're struggling at the moment to do some of the more classic things. So why on earth would you think that you can do something that's probably light years away from actually where you are now? So one of the things that I certainly encourage is almost doing a data mesh maturity assessment, much in the same way, you know, are you ready for this? Because absolutely don't embark on this journey if you don't realize what you're laying yourself in for, and if, if you're already struggling to do Things in the traditional world. Why on earth would you expect to actually achieve it in in a mesh environment, unless something fundamentally is going to change on that? Nicola, you're yeah, yeah Nicola, you are itch, itching to say something, so you can. Yeah,
3: well, you were making me think, and it was a question I wanted to ask Kinder and Jake. Well, well, and you, from your client's perspective, actually, Andrew was, you know, how were your organisations doing data governance before you started implementing data mesh, or not? because one part of me wants to say it you should be doing it anyway and then it'll make data mesh easier but i get that a lot of people don't so i'd love to know if, if you're able to share
2: go for a kind of
3: in my case no
4: so it came along with um with the with the data mesh and in that case my prior experience i was struggling i was doing all of these elevator pitches one pages trying to uh, push for a data strategy and uh, data management and and so when data mesh came along that basically helped a lot so in both cases unfortunately not sadly
2: <laughs> Jay, Jay but uh, any any perspective from your clients and what you were saying
1: yeah I think um the answer is probably slightly different from kinda's but uh but but said differently but maybe l- likely the same it's yeah they're doing it but are they really doing it the right way? And I think, like, I think I've seen clients come up with this great plan of data governance, and they don't roll it out. I mean, I remember at one point, uh, and this was when I was actually a practitioner, not a consultant. My enterprise said, um, "Listen, we don't want to bite off more than we can chew." And I said, "Guys, we're starving. Bite off as much as you can chew. Like, hurry up. We gotta, we got we have to make traction." But a different angle, Andrew. I like what you said about. Um, whether you you're ready for data mesh, if you don't have data governance, or you know, to, to speaking cloud terms, are you? Why would you go to the cloud if your underlying data is broken? All you're doing is transferring the problem to AWS. And I think you can actually kind of conversely, you can use data mesh or cloud journey to actually force that discipline that your firm doesn't have. So, hey, gang, we're gonna talk about data mesh, and and and, Nicole, I love what you said about business outcomes. Like if anyone listening to this, if you take one thing away from this, articulating business outcomes very well in the language that the people that have the purse understand is going to almost guarantee you success. So if you can articulate that business outcome and you can say we want to do data mesh and here's why, and and everyone gets it, and we'll start small, small like, and but here's how you actually do it. I think that's the that's the key to it, right? It's, it's that articulation and then you'll go, okay, we need data owners. We don't really have them. And if we're going to do data mesh successfully, we kind of need that. And and then you can start to actually cure the organization's ills by you, by getting ready for data mesh or we're going to go to the cloud and we really need to fix our data. Let's do it in a small bit. And then you'll start to actually get traction. So you can use these big transformational um Projects to actually put operating discipline that we should all have. Many of us don't.
2: That makes makes eminent sense. Um, To answer Nicholas' question, which was, are the people we we're speaking to already doing it? The vast majority are, um, in some shape or form. Although some of the ones that probably aren't are probably the ones that are most ripe for data mesh because it's a greenfield site, so you don't come with all the Legacy and baggage that um, you have, but they come with a different challenge. They probably don't necessarily have, you know, the infrastructure to do it. So you have a slightly different set of challenges. So they they don't have all the legacy issues of governments to deal with. But like the same token, they're probably in a different place in terms of they almost need to do some of that to get to mesh. So it's it, 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 so the answer is it depends.
3: Yeah, I find it fascinating, but I, I love what you were saying, um, Jay, about like well, it's like turning that negative into a positive, and it sounds like what Ginder's done as well, is the fact that it wasn't there, but you're kind of going, well, you can't have this shiny new thing that's going to give you this value if you don't adopt it. So I suppose it's the, you know, in an ideal world, I'm a data governance geek, I'm always going to want everybody to do data governance anyway, particularly... Um, I always get very frustrated with financial services. Not, am not, not saying that because <laughs> you're on the panel, but I came from a very, uh, I worked in financial services for many years before I branched out further in sectors, but their the products are data and yet they, they really struggle to get their head around the fact that we need to manage it. Um, you know, and, and the bank, when I first started, I would dare even say making up data governance 20 years ago. People would say to me, it doesn't matter, nobody's gonna die, Nicola, we can always change the numbers afterwards. <laughs> and we're just kinda going <laughs> to kind of think. But um yeah, I think we've come a long way from that over the years. But it it's interesting that, you know, yes, clearly everybody should be doing data governance, but it's quite nice to think that perhaps if they're not, we can use this instead of the like the regulatory stick to force people to do it, we can wave this shiny thing that's gonna give them some value. That's-
2: that's a really good points. I and mean, in, in terms of sort of where you see the future direction of data mesh and governance within it, you know, we, we've not really explored what the future state looks like. I know we're grappling with the current state, but, you know, has anybody got a, a crystal ball as to how this may evolve and things that, you know, people need to be considering? down the track as, as mesh matures, you know, as anybody started seeing clients exploring what, what the shape of this might look like, how
1: mesh governments might actually self evolve going forwards. So I'll, I'll liken it to like, uh, and I'm dating myself as an old person, but like when China got into, um, open trade and free and, and, uh, capitalism where they had these special economic zones, most of the country was communist, but they had certain cities that were allowed to be capitalists. I think like, for massive adoption for data mesh, there's going to have to be data mesh-like, right? Getting an organization to actually do it in totality is tough All for all the reasons and challenges we said. But if we can start to say, okay, this domain, let's try to do, this would be a special economic zone for data mesh. And, and then that's a way where you can actually get institutions to, to very casually and slowly transform. And then it gets I, I think it creates, it gets infectious from there because you go, you look at this domain and you'll go, wow, they have data ownership. They get it. They've productized their data. They've democratized their data. They're speaking the same language, the engineering team and the business team. You almost don't know in meetings where, you know, which which side they're on because they're so integrated throughout the value chain. And then other, uh, but that might be the only domain doing it. And then the rest of the institutional will go, I want to be like them. So I think the future to it, Andrew, is like, I think it was commented here, not a lot of us in the in, in the data space are, have taken that data mesh journey. But I think we need to kind of take it in small bites and then let the benefits be shown. And then I think there'll be mass, massive adoption from there.
4: I think for the future, Jamuk has already this vision of having computational data governance, right? That things become automated. And from this point in time, obviously, Generative AI is uh, huge. And I'm seeing already a lot of vendors, a lot of companies already trying to implement a lot of these features. And I'm seeing as well, again, to Nicholas' point of, of having this shiny stick to wave around and people getting excited, I'm seeing a lot of data catalogs, for instance, implementing Generative AI. And probably in the future, uh, we'll see but this is already something that is does happening right now, but it's still not perfect, is having data quality tools where you just write in, in natural text language, you know, this is the data quality control measure that I wanted to place, and that is, you know, then changed into SQL code. So I think in the future, a lot of these things could be taken over by generative AI. Obviously not everything. You can never replace humans in a lot of other, in a lot of areas, but maybe some of the skills that we need to put a lot of effort to take to kind of bridge the gap, maybe some of that could be taken over and automated. Not all of it. I don't think humans can be replaced in a lot of areas, but it's some of these more repetitive things, uh, coding, for example, maybe maybe there we see a bit of automation.
2: A lot of automation. I'm I'm, g- I'm I'm glad, Kindi, you mentioned um, the... Um role of AI because I was going to mention it because I, I can absolutely see some of the things we've talked about here. Absolutely. Why would you not use generative AI to do that stuff? And we talked right at the beginning about this, having someone or a view at the center about what governments looks like and I can almost start seeing that becoming almost a generative AI kind of capability, which would be quite scary if... Uh, you know that was actually you know, probably done through AI at the, at the center, but um, who knows? Who knows? Nicola, any, any thoughts from you as to the, what the shape might might look like?
3: No, I, I like what Jay and Kinder have been sharing. I think my I, I still come back to the I, I and I get very excited about generative AI, but it's only going to be as good as the data it learns from. So I think I, I, I think you're right, Kendra. I think there are there is definitely ways it can help us. And I don't think we can wipe out the the human side of it. But I, I kind of think that the data mesh is probably going to be around and evolving for a, a long time because, you know, the, the we're still only talking about early adopters at the moment, really. This isn't mainstream when you talk to people. There's so there's actually only a very small percentage of companies who are really doing it. They might be thinking about it or having discussions. So I, I think it's going to be one of these things. You know, do you remember going back a few years now? But like Jay, showing my age, when people first started talking about big data analytics kind of thing, and it was one, it was something that people talked about for ages, but nobody was really doing. Um, and I think data mesh is a is a little bit like that. There are generally companies doing it, um, but I think it's still a very small percentage. So I think um, the the kind of future that we're talking about is 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 a way off. I think I like Jay's idea. I think yeah, it's it's. You know, if you particularly if you're a large and old organization with with loads of legacy systems, you're not going to be able to to suddenly adopt data mesh overnight. Um, and I and I think that you know we are going to have to have this evolution as people start to ad- adopt it and see that it adds value. Uh,
2: I'd I'd concur with that. I think um, I was at Big Data London last year, and someone pointed out that data mesh. At, I think at that time was three years old and everything else in data was at least 40 years old. So we've got a long way to travel. So we're, we're getting very animated and focused on a very, as you say, quite niche area. And so, you know, the journey is, is probably still one that we yet to travel on. So so that that's really helpful, which is sort of quite timely because I'm conscious that we're almost up to the hour. Before we close, has anybody got any closing remarks, burning thoughts about data governance in Mesh that we've not covered that
1: are important to share or have we exhausted the topic? I'll have one more and it just spurred my thinking, I think, with Kinda and Nicola's answers, I think, gener- and I'm glad Andrew brought it up, such a great topic to close on, but generative AI and data governance around it is going to be important. So if you think about if we're consuming data that's generated off photos, if it's generated off underlying data sets, there has to be a watermark or a stamp that shows that lineage, especially if you're modeling and you're making financial decisions or revenue projections or regulatory reporting or your balance sheet. Like there needs to be that stamp and that same principle, and that's not quite I mean, that that's going to evolve from a data governance and a generative AI world. Uh, but you could apply the same thing to to data mesh. So if I'm curating data in my domain and it gets consumed and then transformed in another domain. And then soon they transform in another domain. You have to have that stamp, that watermark to see how that data changes. So, you know, the initial source, the transform source that becomes a new key data element, and then maybe some, some subsequent transformation. So while we haven't figured out generative AI data governance, I think there's pre, there's concepts there that we're going to need to do that very much apply to data governance and data mesh as well.
2: That's a really good opportunity to um, sort of stop and it feels like there's many more of these conversations to be had over the next months and years as as we evolve. So I think um, I'd like to take the opportunity to thank everybody, Jay, Kinder, Nicola, uh, for a lively debate. And yeah, this, this
0: will run and run and uh, have a great rest of the day.
4: Thank you. Thank
0: you. I'd again like to thank the participants today. Andrew Sharp, who is our facilitator, principal consultant of data governance and data protection at the Oakland Group, as well as guest of episode 172. With Kinda Elmari, PhD, who's the director of data governance at Prima, guest of episode 246, Nicola Ascom, aka the data governance coach, an independent data governance consultant and guest of episode 129, and Jay Como, strategic advisor at Curate Insights and guest of episode 92. You can find a link to each of their LinkedIn's and other relevant content in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Panels really are my favorite. And no, it's not just because I don't have to do the hard work. I I swear. They give you a chance to hear from folks entirely devoid of my own views, which I think is crucial in our learning journey to figure out how to do data mesh well. Hopefully this one was super useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show almost all guests have said that they'd really love people to reach out. Data Mesh Radio is again provided by Data Mesh Understanding and is produced and usually hosted by, you know, except for these panels, by me, Scott Hurleman. Do check out our website datameshunderstanding.com for more information. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by our offerings and some of the free programs out there. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and with that let's hear that funky outro Music